save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning, I'm Ellie Weiss, and you're listening to Our Wild World. We are proud to be one of the top leading wildlife conservation podcasts that reaches a global audience with intelligent news from guest experts from across the globe. We dig into myths, mysteries, and current affairs happening in the halls of decision makers to the news columns of leading conservation organizations. Our goal is to provide our listeners with the best information out there about what we can do and how we can participate and share our passion for our wild world and turn it into action. These days, so many corporations and their products are buried within layers upon layers of various corporate stakeholders that seem distanced from the consumer, where the end consumer often becomes confused or misled by competing interests in a world mostly driven by sound bites and social media. One of the topics that's gained a lot of traction through social media and various well-known NGOs is glyphosate, Roundup, and its maker Monsanto, which is owned by Bayer. Misinformation about glyphosate, one of the safest herbicides ever produced, has created a lucrative business for ambulance-chasing lawyers and NGOs at the expense of native species. You've seen the ads flooding television and social media. Have you been exposed to weed killer Roundup? If you have cancer, you may be eligible for compensation. Call our law offices. So today, my returning guest, Ted Williams, is going to help us dispel some of the myths associated with this mass hysteria surrounding glyphosate and widen our scope of knowledge on both debunking the cancer myth and why glyphosate is an important tool for wetland and fisheries managers. Ted is a renowned conservation journalist, outdoor writer, and avid angler and sportsman. He writes on fish and wildlife issues. In addition to books and freelancing for national publications, he contributes to the monthly recovery column for the Nature Conservancy's online magazine, Cool Green Science. He also serves as the CEO of the Native Fish Coalition. So welcome back, Ted. It's nice to be speaking with you again. Good to be with you, Ellie. It's great. So we've been talking about this for a little while, and uh, you've sent me several articles, and this one is on, you know, the, the glyphosate hysteria. So um, in your article, which we'll post a link to along with this podcast, um, it, it starts out with that in 2018 and 2019, California juries ordered Roundup producer Monsanto to pay multi-million dollar compensations to four non-Hodgkin lymphoma patients who claim to have been sickened by Roundup. And that is, and Roundup is just one of dozens of formulations with the herbicide glyphosate as the active ingredient. So as a result of that, there's a lot of lawsuits against the company from people who allege that exposure to Roundup gave them cancer. So let's start there. Glyphosate, Roundup, Monsanto, and Bayer. Let's start with identifying the difference between, you know, Monsanto, GMO, and the scare around that, and its its owner corporation, Bayer, and the difference between what they do make that is good, glyphosate, Roundup, to what is bad. And then we'll get into a little deeper on overuse of certain chemicals like glyphosate. Okay, the reason I'm interested in, in glyphosate is because I've, all I write about is fish and wildlife conservation. I've been doing it since I worked for the Division of uh, Fisheries and Wildlife in Massachusetts in the 70s. And uh, I freelance, I don't work for anybody. And um, glyphosate is the most useful herbicide for restoring uh, fish and wildlife habitat. Uh, without it, we'd be in huge trouble uh, if, if, if you care about fish and wildlife. Um, it's also the, the most widely uh, used uh, herbicide in the world. 
Uh, and the reason for that is it's, it's super safe and super effective. Uh, farmers kind of OD'd on it. They went wild. Um, and they do overuse it. And uh, in the U.S., uh, it's, it's sprayed multiple times a year on uh, t- uh, 200 million acres of ag land. And I'm sure that has some, some ill effects on, on some things. Um, but one thing that glyphosate does not do is cause cancer. The reason for these lawsuits uh, is because a, one group, uh, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, which is a vestigial uh, appendage of the World uh, Health Organization, uh, speculated um, that it might cause cancer. Every scientific and regulatory uh, group in the world who has done original research on glyphosate has repeatedly found that there is no link to cancer. International Agency for Research on Cancer uh, did a, they didn't do any original research, they did, uh, they did reviews of existing work and claimed irresponsibly that it might be a carcinogen or probably a carcinogen, right up there with glyphosate in their list of probable carcinogens is uh, red meat and uh, hot beverages like cocoa and tea and coffee. So they have no credibility, but on the strength of this finding, um, these I think the last time I looked, there were uh, 20,000 lawsuits against uh, Monsanto. Um, I think it's unlikely that, that any of them will result in, in, in any uh, compensation because they're all based on, on hysteria and emotion, not on science, and I, I think they can be overturned on appeal, but we'll see about that. So, in these lawsuits and claiming cancer, cancer is a huge umbrella for a lot of different diseases, um, cancerous, you know, carcinogenic things that are in our environment, and, you know, the cumulative effects of this. One of the um, stats, st- statistics that you used at the IARC uses is called the LD and then it has a number like LD50. What does that mean? Because you said when you inform people that glyphosate doesn't cause cancer, you tend to get responses like, okay, drink a glass and you could. So tell us a little about that, why it is harmless and what these LD50 numbers mean and the difference of these, I'm, I'm assuming it's the dosage. So what does LD mean, and what does fif- the number, like 50, mean? LD stands for lethal dose, a dose of uh, 50% of the test animals. Um, so uh, if you give a substance to, say, rats, um, and half of them die, um, uh, you'll have a, a statistic for LD50. Uh, for rats, uh, um, caffeine's LD50 is 192 milligrams per kilogram, and that's um, the higher, the safer. Glyphosate's is 5,600. Uh, so caffeine would kill you faster than glyphosate. Glyphosate um, acts on plants. It's a plant poison. Uh, it inhibits an enzyme needed to make uh, three amino acids in plants. And animals uh, don't make or use this enzyme. So glyphosates uh, do not directly affect, affect animals. So even though they're eating these grasses or in, we're in, in ag lands, deer, rabbits, whatever, and the rabbits or whatever that are eating it are then, then are eaten by carnivores higher up the food chain, they don't process this chemical. It has, has no effect. Uh, Humans eat glyphosate too, and, and uh, um, a lot of people, including myself, are, are, are upset that glyphosate um, uh, is in and Roundup is in uh, cereal, uh, beer, and wine. Um, 
because of the, the huge overuse on Agland. Uh, these are, you know, trace amounts, parts per billion. There's no... And, that, and that's because it's so widely used by the agricultural industry. Correct. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't blame anyone for objecting to that. I object to that myself. But it's not a health issue. Um, the, the value of glyphosate and, and, and other herbicides are not just for, for agriculture, but for saving fish and wildlife. If, so, if, if we didn't have glyphosate, some species would go extinct. And the, I've often said that some of the worst enemies of fish and wildlife are environmentalists, or people who call themselves environmentalists. And a lot of these environmental groups have gotten on the bandwagon and uh, are, are harping about the alleged uh, carcinogenity of, of glyphosate. And it's... it's uh, it's just, it, it's just, it's an untruth. When, uh, we, when we could be harping about other more dangerous chemicals, such as the neocotinoids. Yeah, neonics. Neonics, that's a lot easier to pronounce. Right. So, and that, that's made by Bayer. And we have a lot of research of what that does and that it's accumulative effects up the food chain. So pesticides and neonics, rodenticides, that which we use to get rid of what we like to call vermin or pests, mice and rats, that goes out into the food chain, up into the carnivores, and that builds up and has been shown to have some disastrous effects on the larger carnivores, uh, mountain lions and bobcats. But that's separate than glyphosate. Yeah, let's you know, let's talk about uh, insects. Uh, neonics uh, were were designed because they were safer for birds. Um, but they get into the seeds, and then they get into the pollen. So when pollinators, uh, you know, eat the pollen, and, and, uh, uh, they, they die. And uh, so it's, neonics should be banned. Um, bear makes them. Uh, we can hate bear for making neonics, but we can't hate bear for making aspirin, which is one of the most valuable and useful drugs that we have. So my point is that we can hate Monsanto, and, and I have issued major issues with Monsanto for a lot of things, which are, you know some of their lobbying techniques and, and, and suppression of data. You can you can you know disparage Monsanto. It doesn't mean that everything they make is bad. Um, right. Like glyphosate is used correctly is extremely valuable for fish and wildlife conservation. And, uh, you know, some of the groups that are, are, are on the bandwagon to, to ban glyphosate for all uses, including fish and wildlife restoration, uh, a few of the Environmental Working Group, one of the worst, Center for Biological Diversity, Natural Resources Defense Council, Echo Watch, uh, Greenpeace, U.S. Pu- uh, interest, uh, Public Interest Research Group, the Sierra Club, Friends of the Earth, these, these groups apparently know nothing about on-the-ground recovery of fish and wildlife habitat. Or, they or, do that. or what they know is misleading. So how could we, as, as listeners and advocates, help dispel and get these important NGOs that do do a lot of you know good work to focus on the dangers that are out there without being focused and creating hysterica, hysteria about glyphosate. Right. Well, I, I wish more publications would, would, would publish stuff about this. I, I was very happy that Slate uh, published my piece on, on glyphosate. Um, but, but there's not a lot out there about it. And uh, I, I think that, that uh, people need to talk to their, their uh, legislators and tell them not to, you know, listen to some of this stuff. Uh, MassPerg, Public Interest Research Group, is going around my state, Massachusetts, knocking on doors, saying sign a petition to ban glyphosate. Well, if we did that, uh, ban Roundup too, if we did that, um, we couldn't do a lot of the important restoration that, that, that I see happening all, all around us for fish and wildlife. We, so- we'd lose species. 
So let's segue for a minute. We got like a minute or two left for this section, and then we got to take a break. Let's segue into Roundup and Roundup Ready um, seeds. So what does that mean in terms of glyphosate? Well, this is this is getting into the overuse on ag land, and, and uh, it does need to be, be um, uh, addressed. Addressed. Um, um, if we ban glyphosate, even on ag land, they're going to use something else that's, that's worse and, and harsher. Um, the, that's a, the, that's a really important point right there. Because um, you'd also stated that, um, you know, the parent company, Bayer, produces and the, the, the neonics and, you know, genetically modified crops that are immune to Roundup and thus allow agribusiness, agribusiness to blitz entire plantations and weeds and all. And we're going to get into that because that's a little um, note that we're going to get into later, these super weeds. But if we... If we get on this bandwagon and ban glyphosate and really create this hysteria, then what you just said is a really important point. We're going to use something worse. And a good example is Daiquan. Um, that's made by, by Monsanto. And, and uh, last year, uh, because of these superweeds, which have become immune to, to glyphosate because it's used so much, uh, farmers had to use a uh, harsher herbicide called Diquat, and it can drift long distances, especially when not used according to the label. Uh, and a lot of farmers don't use it according to the lab- label. And, and uh, it drifted long distances and, and wiped out hundreds of, of farms, non-target farms in the Midwest, um, killed all their crops. So when you uh, say drifted, is it sprayed? Is it like the old crop dusters sprayed from the air? Is it done through machinery, multi-spraying, like you see these? Aer- aerial spray. And, okay. And it, it, uh, it drifts. It, if it's applied correctly, it, it's fine. But, you know, most often it is not uh, applied correctly. And, it, and it's harsher. And so glyphosate doesn't do this, even when it's overused. And uh, so we lost a lot of... Uh, crops that weren't intended to be sprayed. Um, and that's an excellent example of, of if we ban glyphosate, uh, some the farmers aren't going to quit using herbicides. You know, that's a pipe dream. Um, so if we, glyphosate is arguably the safest herbicide that's out there. Uh, no herbicide can be called safe. But it all depends on how much is used, how often it is used, and, of course, following proper um, distribution or spraying application methods. And with protective gear. And all these uh, alleged uh, um, victims of non-Hodgkin lymphoma in California um, had been spraying glyphosate for, for decades uh, at thousands of times of concentrations used by wildlife and aquatic managers with no protect and they, they had no protective gear um, it, it's still very unlikely that, that, that their cancer has anything to do with, with even that overuse um, but okay it, well I think uh, this this is a are you there yeah okay well, I, th- I, I think this is a good point for step away for a little break because we want to segue into some other aspects of what you did with fish and wildlife years ago and why you are an expert or at least highly knowledgeable on this subject and the good uses for glyphosate so stick with us my guest ted williams you're listening to our wild world and we'll be right back Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. 
the wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. And welcome back. I'm Ellie Weiss. You're listening to Our Wild World with my guest, Ted Williams. Um, so we've been talking about glyphosate, the hysteria around it, Roundup, Monsanto, and Bear, and, you know, more dangerous chemicals, and why we do need to use some insecticides, why we don't need to use more poisonous ones um, that would could very well happen if we uh, successfully ban Glyphosate. So, um, you explained that glyphosate is only affects plants and inhibits certain enzymes. And we discussed superweeds. So, these superweeds, which are Roundup Ready, uh, Roundup Ready Immune. Let's talk about that a little bit more and how you came about this through your work with fish and wildlife. Okay. The um, well, I, I went to work for the. Division of Fisheries and Wildlife in Massachusetts in the 70s um, as an information and education officer. And from there, I went uh, freelancing. I've been freelancing ever since, writing only on fish and wildlife conservation. Um, the, the, the superweeds, uh, a very interesting um, issue there. The You know, Monsanto created uh, Roundup-ready plants, Roundup-ready plants. Uh, soy, for example, um, but GMOs, so that the farmers could just blitz everything and the crops would survive and the weeds would not. Um, Previously, the farmers had to go look for the weeds and spray them directly. There's probably a a much better system. Um, So because of of that and the overuse of of, uh, glyphosate Roundup on, on Agland, um, some plant, some weed plants, got lucky and they uh, built up immunity and pass it on, and they, they're they're called superweeds. And that's so, what evolution is all about. <laughs> exactly. And, right. And, and uh, so that creates a problem um, because of these superweeds. Uh, glyphosate was no longer effective, and uh, they had to use something harsher, Dyquat, last year. And that's, you know, does that uh, does that do have wiped so, out farms? So it not only wiped out crops, but it wiped out the pollinators. It, well, the, the big issue was it wiped out crops and farms that didn't spray and didn't want spray. Oh, okay. Including organic farms, which is really outrageous. Um, so, you know, yes, glyphosate is overused. Um, 
and it has to be used less. And uh, but if you don't use it at all, uh, you know you're not gonna have any crops to eat, and you're not gonna have any, a lot of fish and wildlife will die. Okay, so let's let's connect the dots between ag crops, massive spraying, and that borderline buffer zone, echo zone between big ag land and you know fisheries and waterways. Let's just reframe and re- renew how this gets into fish and wildlife areas versus <laughs> you know big ag lands. You, you you picture big farms. Where's that borderline where it gets into those areas where land and sea meet? Okay, the the use of glyphosate on ag land. Um, it may have some, some effects on amphibians. Um, not really, the, the data really isn't in. Uh, anything that's used to that extent is, is going to have some ill effects on something. Um, when wildlife managers and, and, and um, aquatic managers use glyphosate, they use it in minuscule amounts. Uh, nothing like it. It's used on agland. And uh, let's talk about fish. Um, and, and amphibians, aquatic amphibians. Um, glyphosate, uh, the label for glyphosate in aquatic environments is called rodeo, or that's one of maybe a dozen uh, label for, for aquatic use. Um, it's absolutely essential for combating uh, invasive alien weeds like giant salvinia um, and water hyacinth. Um, and if you don't do it, uh, these these weeds will, they have no natural enemies in, in North America. So they'll take over uh, an entire lake. Uh, they'll shade out the sunlight, um, deplete the oxygen, and eventually kill the fish and the aquatic amphibians. So, you know, it's too bad that we have to use uh, herbicides like glyphosate in, in um, aquatic environments. But the alternative is is you lose the uh, aquatic environments. Uh, tor- torpedo grass is another awful weed that pro- proliferates in uh, Florida and Texas. A huge mats it creates smother all natives and uh, valuable natives, bulrush, not grass, spawning a nursery habitat for all manner of fish: catfish, bass, crappies, bluegills, red ear sunfish. So, are we talking about inland? waterways and inland, inland lakes that would also be um, perhaps get exposed to more glyphosate or uh, higher concentrations because of uh, rain runoff that no, get no, it is, no? no issue with runoff uh, glyphosate is very short lived it breaks down quickly um, so, so it's, it's not like other uh, herbicides or insecticides that, that do uh, you know lead off into into systems or, or magnifying the food chain. Okay, but, so no not, no real tertiary effects. None. Okay. So then where does it get into where we end up with coastal systems and, and marshlands versus, you know, interior inland wetlands? Uh, well, you know, co- coastal wetlands have, have invasive uh, plants as well, uh, and, and it's... It, it's not just glyphosate. There's other very valuable herbicides that are used to to recover and and, and save them. Um, but uh, so, as a as a guy out there using glyphosate, and as you said, it's very targeted. It's very specific. What does that look like? So our our listeners get an idea. We talked about protective gear. And um, that glyphosate does not have an effect or is absorbed by people in terms of that it does, the enzyme that it breaks down in plants does not affect us. So what does it look like when this is being done? Okay, um, well, it's, there's several ways of doing it. And, and everybody should use protective gear when they're using any herbicide. Uh, you know, the, even the safest herbicides uh, the, the, all the research is not in, and it will never be in. Uh, we're not sure, you know, there, there may be some effects, 
that we don't know about. But there's no alternative. You've, you've got to use them if, if you want to save fish and wildlife from extirpation or extinction. Because um, of everything we've already done. Yeah. Well, because of all the invasive plants we've, we've brought in on purpose and accidentally. Okay. Um, so... So, so it, do, it doesn't affect fish, although the fish are eating plant or organic matter in these wetlands. Help, help us understand how that works, that the glyphosate removes the invasive species, yet doesn't affect the fish. So the, the native species aren't eating these invasive species, and the invasive species are killing out the native species that are, are native um, aquatic life does need? Yeah, that's pretty much it. The, the fish don't, uh, very few fish actually eat the, the plants. Um, but the invasive plants, um, and, and uh, almost none of them eat the invasive plants. The invasive plants shade out the important fish habitat um, and, and deplete oxygen, which fish have to have. And, you know, the, the glyphosate itself has no effect on the fish. Um, Except to save them from from uh, suffocation. So, does this have anything to do with like the algae blooms that we're seeing? Could that be traced to invasive species and misuse uh, of of glyphosate or other herbicides? The anti-GMO uh, ideologues that you read about, um, and some of these groups are putting out. Uh, claim that, that glyphosate adds uh, to, to um, phosphorus uh, content and, and, uh, and, and eutrophies uh, wetlands and lakes. Um, that's not true. It, 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 there is some phosphorus in it, that, and it does uh, increase it slightly, but a good analogy is, you know, in Lake Erie, where the, this claim has been made. Um, analogy might be uh, leaving your garden hose on during a, a hurricane. Um, your garden hose would add to street flooding, um, probably a tenth of one percent. Uh, so that's a bogus issue gotten out by people who want to ban, ban glyphosate. Um, it, it, uh, again, we, we, we need to use it not just in, in aquatic environments, but um, in, in well in the Everglades there are these uh, tree islands that are, are just completely covered with old world climbing ferns um, which smothers everything uh, wiping out all kinds of mammals and, and shorebirds and uh, um, so in, in terms of a, a management tool on a large landscape how how do we need to use this so that we can advocate for its proper use? Because as you just said, so many invasive species are coming in and drowning out our native species due to mismanagement or poor land use management or poor wetlands management that we do need the good tools that we have that are the least harmful and that we do need to restore and reclaim these areas due to our mismanagement and intervention we now need to intervene to bring it back to functionality right um, well the old world climbing firm is, firm is a good example uh, when, when this takes over these these islands in the, in the Everglades uh, everything dies and when the South Florida water management district goes in and sprays, you know, glyphosate, a rodeo or, or some aquatic formulation, um, it kills it. And, and instantly, um, you have uh, fantastic resurgence of, of native wildlife and native plants. Um, if you didn't do it, you would lose all that stuff. Um, you know, when I argue with people um, about the use of glyphosate, um, they say, well, we, you know, I use vinegar. Well, you know, try using vinegar on, on 7,000 acres of Phragmites uh, that surrounds um, Utah Lake in Utah. You can't do it. Um, what, are, what are Phragmites? 
Phragmites is a is a uh, invasive alien grass that just takes over uh, coastal and inland wetlands. Um, and if you don't treat it with with uh, usually glyphosate uh, rodeo formulation, uh, you lose all your habitat. It kills amphibians and fish and birds and turtles and rabbits and deer and raccoons, possums, otters, reptiles, everything. And Utah has done a great job um, spraying it. They, they can't just spray it. They have to cut it first because its roots are so deep you can't really plow it up. Uh, you can't pull it up. Uh, not, not enough people in the country to pull it up. Um, so the only alternative is, is to cut it and then spray the, the stems with um, usually uh, glyphosate. Sort of like thistle. You have to kind of cut thistle. You can't pull it up. Its root is so deep. And then the, the effects of what these um, non-native species do on our water aquifers, right? Using up a whole lot of water and resources that it suffocate out the native species. Well, right, and that's another mission of the South Florida Water Management District is is, is just water access and water use. Um, and if they don't do it, uh, they they lose they lose uh, access and they lose lose the water. Wow, this is this is a really big deal. So, give us an idea in terms of the continental United States and the beneficial uses by our fish and wildlife services, fisheries services, the scope of why we need glyphosate, why we need to advocate advocate for it and advocate for its not overuse and some of the implications as it cascades, the trophic cascades through the landscape. Just a bit ago you'd said in Utah, if these phygomites? Phygomites. Yeah. It's it's not just Utah. It's it's a very common weed all over the country, and you have to control it or you lose the habitat, you lose the fish and wildlife. It's just one of of many. Uh, Japanese knotweed is another horrible invasive alien that is wiping out fish and wildlife. And, uh, you know, the the, the wildlife managers... uh, don't always spray it. Uh, lots of times they just inject the stems, very small doses. And and um, so it, there really are very few uh, side effects of, of when it's used uh, properly. And, you know, it, it, it should be used in that land, but the, it, it's being overused because it's, it was so effective and people went wild with it. What they... What, Farmers need to do is 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 vary the herbicides. Don't use just one herbicide. Use glyphosate, then use something else that's similar, um, so that you don't get um, a bunch of these super weeds that are resistant to just one herbicide. Um, so a big part of the problem here is mo- large-scale monoculture, requiring the use of large-scale applications and overuse. So that's one problem we've got. And then the second problem is we don't want to use something worse that has neonics in it that have severe tertiary effects up the food chain and down the food chain. Let's let's make a little analogy between glyphosate use and plastics. We now know plastics have gone down to the bottom of the ocean and is now coming back up into the food chain and just about every living thing on earth has plastics in it now. So we know at some point humans are going to uptake glyphosate. But the difference is glyphosate is not going to be uh, destructive to us. It's not a carcinogen, whereas plastic we can't get rid of. Correct. And you, you uh, used the word monoculture. That's very significant because a lot of what people are objective about Monsanto is it's, it's pushing these monocultures. And uh, that that's very dangerous for foods. Anytime you have a monoculture, you have uh, huge risks of catastrophic um, disease. And you could, you could lose huge um, parts of the food supply. If, if you depend on monocultures. 
So that's another reason some of these um, GMO critics um, hate Monsanto. But again, you know, glyphosate needs to be used properly, and and it's being banned uh, locally, uh, and there's a big push for a national ban. Uh, In Florida, uh, they had a a petition with uh, almost 200,000 signatures uh, titled Stop the State-Sponsored Poisoning of Our Lakes and Rivers with Glyphosate. And it was illustrated with a Jolly Roger on a metal drum beside a dead spotted sea trout, which is, you know, really dishonest and deceptive. It doesn't kill fish, has no effect on fish. And uh, as a result, uh, uh, last January, um, Florida responded by imposing a statewide uh, moratorium on on all aquatic uh, herbicides. And this horrified the environmental community. The Nature Conservancy, uh, which depends on glyphosate for fish and wildlife cover, recovery uh, more than any of the other 18 herbicides it uses, warned, quote, of a serious economic and ecological consequence. Audubon, Florida, uh, voiced strong support for herbicide treatments in Lake Okeechobee. Uh, and, you know, the, as a result, uh, they, they did lift the herbicide uh, ban. But um, the last time it was, they had a herbicide ban, which was maybe 20 years ago, uh, the South Florida Water Management District had to go in and use three times the amount of herbicide to get back to where they'd started from. So, wow. Wow. Uh, needs to understand some of this stuff and, and uh, unfortunately a big element of it doesn't right well let's let's take a little break here we need to step away and then um, we're going to come back and talk about what we can do and advocate and um, some more resources to educate folks so stick with us and my guest Ted Williams and we'll be right back Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. 
and welcome back. This is Our Wild World and my guest, Ted Williams. And Ted is an author and uh, wildlife and fisheries journalist, avid angler. So he has a lot of interest, um, not only personally, but you know, I'll say a vested interest because of his work and his previous history with fish, the fisheries um, and wildlife division about glyphosate and this misinformation that's going on about it. So we had just talked about, you know, these huge petitions in Florida using a lot of misleading information. Marketing is huge these days, especially when people are so busy and you know, live their life through devices and sound bites and Facebook and glom on to a petition. So how do we go about stopping this kind of misinformation? Where do we go to learn more besides this program and my guests and talking about these issues? How do we get, where do we go to find this information and start, instead of signing these petitions, take the the minute to bring out good information that doesn't that leads to better information to mitigate the misinformation and the awful graphics you know using glyphosate is going to lead to dead and mutilated animals as you just talked about this this petition you know it's one thing leading to another that brings up a visual in in the viewer that is totally false so how do we bring out the truth well, if you know uh, uh, any fisheries and wildlife professional managers, talk to them. Um, get them to email you some peer-reviewed studies. Um, when, you know, a U.S. public interest group comes to your door and knocks and asks you to sign a petition to ban glyphosate, make them sit down for a while and, and patiently explain to them that uh, the risk to fish and wildlife um, if we ban it, we can't ban it. We have for all uses. You know, we have to have to allow this to have a responsible use. And you know, it, maybe the use in agland isn't responsible. We again, we need to vary the the types of herbicides we use so we won't get this these huge monocultures with super weeds. But um, if you talk to your legislators. Tell them not to get sucked in by some of these these uh, lobby groups uh, and, and resist any ban. Uh, if, uh, if your local community um, tries to, to ban glyphosate, and a lot of them did, uh, after this petition in Florida, uh, the city of Miami uh, banned municipal use of uh, glyphosate. Uh, it was a, that was a shame. Um, all based on, on hearsay and misinformation and, and hyperbole um, but read up on the stuff and, and, and be careful of the sources that you do read because just because a, a environmental group says something Echo Watch or the Center for Biological Diversity uh, you know be suspicious of these, these groups are uh, you know part of their their MO is, is fundraising and if they can whip up some hysteria about alleged environmental dangers, um, people may, may, you know, give them money. And it's, it's a dirty business. You mentioned two really important things right there, lobby groups and fundraising. And that's where this marketing and this mass um, laying on of misinformation takes place. It starts with one thing and then it's, you know, it goes viral without people doing, you know, one more click or two more clicks of a little more research and questioning. So this is big business we're talking about in terms of the lobby groups and the fundraising to these big organizations. So that we all understand NGOs, nonprofits, do need money to do their work. But we want to ensure that the work they're doing is not harming the systems that we're already trying to protect that are facing dangers. Right. And, you know, I don't mean to disparage all environmental groups. Uh, right. There are very good ones uh, that, that uh, people should listen to. The Nature Conservancy um, is one of them. They, and they absolutely depend on glyphosate for, for their recovery work. 
and they're there on the ground doing real work to, to save fish and wildlife um, rather than, than just fundraising. And so, there are other groups too. So be, be uh, careful with the groups that you consult and, and vet the information that, that you get. So are there, like when you've got a community group and let's say this ban and, or this petition comes up to ban it, um, resources that we could use, you know, bring fish and, fisheries and wildlife speakers in that understand the use of this and why it's beneficial. Speakers, you know, create community groups, work with your local uh, community legislation, um, town halls, town councils, op- you know, county councils, open space councils. And pay attention is what you're saying. We need to pay attention. Exactly. And, you know, if your locality uh, try, attempts to ban glyphosate, uh, talk to um, a state wildlife biologist who's working on, on aquatic weeds or uh, uh, terrestrial weeds and, and, or a fisheries biologist who's working on aquatic weeds and, and ask them to come and, and, and speak at, at the town meeting. Um, that's really all it takes to some, somebody who knows what they're talking about can convince um, the public. And you had mentioned that, you know, um, there's 18 other herbicides that are used to save and recover fish and wildlife. Are well, any of those 18 more dangerous or, da- or, or damaging than glyphosate? Are any of them safer? So that when we're talking about this to our, our, our local legis- legislators or representatives that we can offer options, alternatives? Um, there are probably none that are, are safer if, if used according to the label. Okay. Uh, but uh, there, are, there are a lot more than 18. Um, the Nature Conservancy, as I mentioned, uses uh, 19 uh, herbicides for their work, and, and glyphosate is used by them far more than the other 18. Uh, but... Um, any herbicide, uh, if it's used according to the label carefully, um, if it's certified, you know, um, by EPA is, 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 is probably okay. Except for the ones that have neonics in them. Well, they're, they're not herbicides. They're, okay. insecticides. they're insecticides. That's a whole different deal. Okay, I think, I think that's a key point here. Whenever we hear a word that has side, like herbicide, um, pesticide, we're thinking like genocide, mass killings, right? right. Yeah. So how do we reframe herbicide into a positive for us rather than create this fear? Well, herbicides are generically much safer than pesticides, than insecticides, because of what we talked about earlier, uh, the enzymes that plants have and and, uh, and animals don't. Um, that doesn't mean that all insecticides are dangerous and shouldn't be used. Uh, Rachel Carson uh, wrote, wrote, you know, Silent Spring, uh, and and because of that, we get the really dangerous chlorinated hydrocarbons, mostly banned, um, like DDT, and and haptochlor and a lot of other ones, and and. Uh, she was never against uh, short-lived pesticides, insecticides. And, and I, th- I, I think they- that's another really important point, short-lived. Their, yeah. their half-life, their lifespan, they're gone. You know, they do their work and they're gone. They don't keep on um, affecting once it's done its job. Right. And, and uh, some of the comments I get is, well, you know, they said DDT was safe. Well, no. The scientists said DDT was not safe. Rachel Carson was a scientist, and because of that, it was banned. The scientists are saying glyphosate is not dangerous. So that's a a specious argument. Uh, My friend, uh, Nat Reed, who just died last year on the Salmon River, uh, was Nixon's uh, assistant secretary for uh, Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. And... uh, Nixon, when he was interviewing Nat for, for the job, said, Nat, um, what's this stuff we hear from Rachel Carson about DDT, and what do we need to do about it? And, and Nat said, Mr. President, um, we need to ban it. 
and if you don't want me to ban it, I'm not interested in the job. So because of that, um, it got mostly banned. All right. So let's say with this current administration and all the rollbacks that are happening on our EPA and waterways and dumpings and all of that, making, you know, leading the way for a lot of this corporate disasterness to invade and destroy um, our earth and, you know, other countries sort of climbing on that same bandwagon. We need to promote what is useful and get rid of what is not. So how do we go about advocating that? What are some good takeaways for our listeners today that we can turn this passion for restoring and reclaiming wetlands and having to live with large-scale monoculture until that shift is made, that we can um, remove the scare factor well, uh, the first thing we have to do is vote Trump out of office. Yeah. Uh, the Trump administration is, uh, that's why we have neonics. They should be banned. Um, other, other countries are banning them. Um, and, and he refuses to. And uh, the Clean Water Act uh, administration is, is uh, uh, weakening it severely. And now that uh, more pollution will come into some of these water bodies, we're going to have more uh, aquatic weeds. The invasive aquatic weeds are going to grow from the nutrients. And that's going to require even more a use of herbicides. Um, so would you it, say, uh, let me interject, so would you say um, in terms of these non-native species, where are they coming from and how are they getting out into our wildlands? Is it through um, gardeners, garden centers? Where are they coming from? How, well, are, how are we distributing them? They're coming from all sources. And, and uh, they've been here, some of them have been here for decades um, some were brought in intentionally. Some came in with, uh, you know, with, with seeds and crops from other countries. Uh, uh, some of the garden centers are still selling um, some of these invasive um, plants, uh, and, and uh, they need to be stopped from doing that. But the big issue is that they have no uh, native predators, um, so they they explode, and there's no controlling them. Um, they some of the managers, in, in addition to using herbicides, are using biological controls, which sometimes are, are very effective. Uh, these are insects from the uh, native uh, regions of these, these invasive plants that, that do eat the plants. And, uh, but doesn't that, that sounds scary, doesn't that end up maybe having other unintended consequences we didn't think about? No, because it, in the old days, uh, you know, mon- mongooses were brought in to control rats, and, and cats were brought in to control rats on islands, and was, they created much more problem than you saw. But uh, these days, biological controls are, are carefully vetted. They, uh, every uh, insect that's brought in uh, has to undergo rigorous starvation tests, and that is means that they're, they're placed in uh, quarantine with every plant that even resembles or slightly related to the target pest plant, um, native plants. And if they starve before eating the native plants, they pass. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Biological controls. That's very cool. I need to learn more about that. I think that would make a fascinating conversation because there's so much we need to look at now with a planet in peril that um, I mean Australian fires mismanagement fossil fuels this hanging on to outmoded things it's it's just not going it's not sustainable we're in in these next 10 15 25 years we're facing a huge shift that we have to be advocates and participants in in terms of changing our methods and our attitudes about a lot of the way we function in our economic systems of profits over resources. Absolutely. So we need to do our due diligence as as citizens of planet Earth. 
we need to do our due diligence and not just jump on the bandwagon because somebody has put together a fundraising platform that says ban this. We need to look at it and say there's a whole lot worse things out there and this is an important tool. Exactly. Excellent. Well, Ted, this has been a fabulous conversation. I thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you more. And folks, um, go read Ted's column. Uh, Google him. You'll find tons of fascinating information. He did a previous podcast with us on uh, killing contests, which are still going on. And uh, we can... and listen to that one and uh he's he's a fascinating man a fabulous writer he does represent and work with the the nature conservancy which is one of the best ngos out there so folks we need to do our due diligence so thank you ted for your time thanks holly it's good to be with you it's always good to talk to you uh you're such a fascinating guy so folks go out there into our wild world and Let's protect our one and only planet. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. 